0712. Call Rafilwe on 011-883-0702. So if you want to further, you know, entrench those boundaries, if you're struggling to maintain boundaries um, and uh, you need some suggestions, you need some tips from Nikki Bush, do give us a call. And that's exactly what we're exploring this morning. Uh, you know, uh, is, is saying no and maintaining boundaries difficult for you? Why is that, right? This morning, we're chatting to uh, Nikki Bush, author, human potential and parenting expert about her findings this Women's Month. Interesting stuff. And of course, Nikki has just released her latest book called Future Proof Yourself. So congratulations, Nikki. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning, Rafilwe. Thank you very much. <laughs> How was the launch on Thursday? Oh, it was fantastic. We had a really amazing, amazing turnout and just brilliant feedback mm. about how useful the book is being for everybody, which I guess it is a book that's been written for such a time as this, mm. uh, for when people are feeling lost and going through dramatic change. And it doesn't matter what kind of change and disruption you're going through. The book has got frameworks and practical insights and lessons for everybody. Mm, Lovely. So, Nikki, today the focus is on boundaries, maintaining boundaries, perhaps for some people, even establishing them to begin with, right? But. Women's Month is your particular sort of uh, entryway into this conversation and you found something specific um, during this Women's Month period of speaking to your audiences, teaching. um, And and what exactly was it? Do women struggle especially with boundaries uh, and maintaining them or establishing them? Absolutely, they do. And this seemed to be the common thread throughout all my presentations for Women's Month, what I was being asked to speak about. And also, I run uh, polling because we can, we can do polls in a virtual environment. And this is one of the benefits of virtual presenting is we can run anonymous polls. And the poll results were really interesting. So let's talk about how women are feeling generally. Mm. And uh, 35%, um, and this is with regard to boundaries and and saying no, 35% feeling confident in their ability to say no or create boundaries. 27% not feeling empowered to say no or to create boundaries. And 35% suffering from decision fatigue. Now, this is very interesting, Mm. Um, especially where we find ourselves in this global pandemic is we've moved from being physically fatigued to being completely wiped out and depleted. And now we're suffering from something called decision fatigue. And we can go into that um, in a little bit of detail because I think it's quite fascinating. Mm, And then while we're on this boundary, on the boundary poles, who is it more difficult for women to say no to or to create boundaries with? They don't have any problem saying no to their friends. Mm. 6% have a problem saying no to their children. 6% have a problem saying no to their team and um, 13% have a problem saying no to their boss and their team 
15% have a problem saying no to their partner and their children. Sure. 24%, and I think this is the biggie, 24% have a problem saying no to their boss. That, that was huge. And then overall, 36% of the respondents said they have a problem saying no to all of the above. So it's quite a high figure. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a high figure. It's a scary figure. But I wonder, in the world of uh, bosses and supervisors, if you know that's not if that's not a sort of a figure that you know bosses are like, yeah, I can I can live with not with my employees or the people reporting me not reporting to me not being able to say no to me. Because ultimately, I get my way, or when I yeah, crack well, the whip, I power. see results, yeah. right? Yeah, but positional power. Exactly. So I imagine that this is this is it's problematic. It's unfortunate for the the woman respondents, but it's it, it hasn't happened, you know, um, by mistake or in a vacuum. It's definitely yeah. an intentional sort of dynamic. I imagine that's been set up um, in that relationship. But, yeah. you know, boundaries, the need to establish them, the need to mark your turf and say this far and no further, those things are all necessary for what, Nikki? And well, we'll go to talk about, we'll go on to talk about the impacts on parenting. Yes. So, so currently, the, the, the two things that um, obviously are important in this work from home scenario, and these, these were audiences of people who can work from home. So yes. large corporates, financial um, industry, financial sector, telecoms, etc. So boundaries are more often than not about time. So it's about taking calls after hours. It's about feeling you have to respond to emails after hours. It's about taking time off to care for family members who are ill or having to incorporate school from home in the work from home scenario. So those are the main areas where people are, are being actually, interestingly, encouraged to create boundaries. Yes. And then those boundaries get broken either because you're expected to respond after hours or because you choose to break the boundary because because here is the here are the statistics around why women don't say no or keep boundaries because eight eight percent feel worried that they won't be liked anymore ten mm. percent are worried that they're going to be labeled as uncompromising twenty one percent feel a paralyzing sense of guilt. And I think we've spoken about the size of a woman's guilt gland being far bigger than a man's before. And then 24% are worried about how they are thinking about me. Mm. And 37% are fearful of repercussions for their career at work or their relationship at home if they say no. And I think that speaks to, you know, what you were saying earlier, that the boss is the boss. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Sure. So, so, so why is this important, um, you know, that, that we take better care of, of our boundaries if we are able to set them and our ability to say no? There's this word called self-care. And self-care at the moment is very high on every company's agenda because they're seeing burnout. 
And they're seeing burnout for so many reasons, but one of the biggies that I've already mentioned that we need to get into is decision-making fatigue. Too many decisions in that decision-making jug, so to speak, and it's currently overflowing and there are reasons for this as to why it's worse now than ever before mm. sure nikki um all of these things i mean yeah it makes sense all all of these reasons for not you know enforcing your boundaries or for having weak boundaries and that being fearful of repercussions right um and and feeling as though uh someone might uh yeah you'll be punished <laughs> for not having the time or taking on that extra project or saying yes to the workload so of course, the big buzzword, self-care, we want to be here by at the end of this pandemic, right? If the ro isn't going to get you, then it's going to be the stress, the anxiety and the burnout and nobody <laughs> wants that. So no. it makes a lot of sense. Um, but then you've just introduced another element, which is exactly that decision-making fatigue where we are weighing up also, you know, weighing up drowning, concerns, drowning <laughs> exactly um, yeah. on a minute to minute basis. Do I go out today based on, you know, the fact that it's a, a level three? Today. Exactly. All those things. So <laughs> this is this is what's very interesting about um, how the global pandemic has brought decision, decision fatigue into sharp focus. Sure. Once upon a time, you sent your children to school. And that took care of a hundred or more decisions for you in the day. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time, you went to the office and you didn't have to think about boiling a kettle for coffee, whether there'd be paper in the printer, how to get into the secure network, or how to connect with a colleague. That took care of, say, a hundred or more decisions in a day, too. Mm. So people already had quite a full load in terms of making decisions and now you add all of that into that decision making cut and you can see why it's overflowing and it's become such a real thing that um, it's been highlighted in the New York Times and no matter how rational and high-minded you try to be you can't make decision after decision after decision without paying a biological price so this is different. Decision-making fatigue is different from ordinary physical fatigue. You're not consciously aware of being tired, but you're low on mental energy. In other words, the space in your brain is being taken up very rapidly. And, you know, they talk about the fact that you want to be on an operating table with a surgeon first thing in the morning or writing an exam in the early session, not the late session. Or pitching for a business deal earlier rather than later. And you've already said it. Now add all that worry about getting ill, coping with illness yourself or a family member or the guilt that you haven't been sick. And then all your decisions that you have to consider about social interaction, social distancing and so much more. You can see how that space for decision making in your brain is being taken up by so many more things than ever before. And it's little wonder that we're suffering from decision fatigue because our brain is just on a constant treadmill. And what was interesting at my book launch was something that I, I haven't told many people, but when you're going through trauma, um, and everybody's going through a form of trauma at the moment, 
your cortisol and your dre- your adrenaline are running high. And after my husband's death, and still to this day, I find it very difficult to read a novel. And mm. I was an avid reader. I used to go through one or two novels a month. Yeah. And I cannot still my mind enough to enjoy a novel like curl up on the couch and not move and Jenny Craze Williams was hosting my book launch and she is the doyen of books and she mentioned the fact that during lockdown she has also her pace of reading has slowed down and she reads books for a living so that just shows you how biological trauma is And what happens is it can lead us to taking shortcuts and acting this decision-making fatigue uh, and acting impulsively without really thinking through the consequences. So we just say yes or we say no without really thinking it through. But often what's actually happening is we're opting out of making a decision entirely and we avoid having to make a decision and then it lands up on this to-do list that creates even bigger problems and stress. So point us to how this impacts parenting. What have you been able to see as far as parents, decision-making fatigue and how it impacts, um, you know, their parenting style, but most importantly, the children? Yeah, so parents have become, of course, more irritable, more ratty, more impulsive, less patient. And... In terms of self-care, what we need to be doing is remembering to eat small, regular snacks throughout the day to keep our glucose levels up because, you know, decision-making and glucose seem to be very linked. Um, And parents, of course, especially working from home and if they've got their children at home, there's just never, ever a break. And if they're not working, they're busy with the children. And... Like any entrepreneur who works from home, they've got a very long, long day because you often start work when your kids are still asleep to get the deep stuff done, Mm. uninterrupted, and you work when your children have gone to bed. So that points to the fact that somewhere in the day, you need to try and take a break, especially a break from your computer to get away from a screen. Um, So... As an exercise that, that I recommend that you do is divide a piece of paper in half. You know how I love my pieces of paper. Mm. <laughs> and write down all the big decisions that are on your plate on the left-hand side of the page, things that you're considering. And then write down any action that you think you're going to take on the right-hand side of the page. If you don't know what you need to do yet, then just Just leave it blank. But the fact that you've actually downloaded all these big decisions onto a page, you now need to let your subconscious mind take over. And it's very interesting. If you do this, the next day when you look at that page again, you might suddenly find you have an answer to a decision maybe you haven't been making. And right now for parenting, there are some big decisions that parents are making. They're looking at, do I keep my children in a real school? Do I take my children out and keep them at home in an online school? Do I put them into um, a hybrid school that is more cost-effective? 
where they're not, um, where they're still online, but they're in a, a supervised situation. So there are some very big decisions because money is tight. Some people have actually realized that they don't mind having their children at home all the time mm-hmm. and that there's, a, there's a, a good payoff for having them around and not paying higher school fees. And some parents have actually um, enjoyed helping their children. I think they might be in a minority, but uh, they, they, they definitely are parents sure. who have uh, been in that situation. So, so we live in such changing times. I mean, who would have thought uh, that we, we would have been considering these options. So big decisions or small decisions, they all add up and take space. Yeah. Um, I imagine that, you know, from a biological perspective, as you were alluding to earlier on, you know, the coming back from decision, uh, decision making fatigue is, is is quite an endeavor and a, a more sustained undertaking. Um, you've given us the exercise that you recommend that people can start to, can turn to when trying to make decisions. But you know, what else should one start? You know, looking to put in that toolkit when it comes to that. Um, I almost feel as though it could almost be compared to a burnout of sorts, right? And how we yes. might even start to treat that. Um, what have you been seeing in terms of success for people who? have come back from this or are dealing with this and useful um, mm. useful tools? So some companies have implemented like no meeting times, uh, beginning of the day or middle of the day. And when that is adhered to, then it helps people enormously uh, because you can take a break. You can do that 20-minute meditation. You can have a power nap. And power naps are only 20 minutes, not longer than that. Um, you can you can go and put your feet on the ground uh, and feel the grass underneath your feet. We almost have to remind ourselves that we have a body, that we are in our body, and um, and and then where there's a lot of work going on, it's interesting to see how soft skills are now becoming the hard skills, and there's a lot of training now being offered to employees and leaders because remember you can't have courageous communication and open honest communication if it doesn't come from the top down Mm. so we're we're needing our leaders to go into empathy training and learning how to coach actually that's become the new buzzword in leadership is is learning coaching skills to help um, employees to actually raise themselves up and and be more assertive in the workplace. It's so interesting to see how the Human Resources Playbook is being rewritten at the moment. Mm. Let's uh, take a call from Jasmine in Hyde Park. Welcome to Weekend Breakfast, Jasmine. Thanks for calling. Um, anxiety. Good morning. Good morning, morning Julie. Uh, thank you so much for this excellent topic. And to say that I resonate with it, I do, and I do resonate with it almost 200%. Sure. Nikki is so correct in saying that anxiety and trauma has got its own way of of, of affecting and impacting on our behavioral patterns. Mm. And for me, having gone through major trauma a few years ago and again recently, I found that so often the spoken way of expressing it comes out all wrong. Yeah. People tend to think I'm overreacting. People tend to think 
uh, I'm not justified. And so I found my way of living and my way of actually dealing with, with what, I, what I'm battling with is uh, in writing. Right. So mm-hmm. it so often helps me and so often is the better way. It's the better option mm. uh, as opposed to then just speaking to someone and trying to get them to see things from my perspective yeah. or trying to be understood or trying to have a comment. Mm. I write it down, I evaluate it, and then I, I, I react. Lovely. So often we need to actually, it's not about our, it's our response as opposed to our reaction. It's just how we process it in our minds and we find the better way of letting it go. Mm. And for me, writing does that. Oh, yeah. Jasmine, thanks so much for sharing and all the best on your own healing journey. It sounds like you've made some really positive inroads. Um, yeah, Nikki, lovely call yeah. there from Jasmine. What I love about that call is Jasmine is taking firstly responsibility for her own response rather than reacting. And she's slowing down her reaction by writing it down first, then probably letting it sit and then going back to it rereading it, probably tweaking it a little bit before she then takes action. And I think that that goes to what I was saying earlier about people being so impulsive at the moment and not thinking the consequences through of what they say or what they do. Whether it's top down or bottom up, it doesn't matter. We all need to become more empathetic and a little more thoughtful before we actually respond. Yeah, and of course, consider the children, right? Ultimately, that's uh, what we're talking about here. Um, Lastly, the toy that, uh, or the review that you've got for us is, uh, am I uh, pronouncing it correctly? Rubabu by Children in Motion. Tell me about it. (laughs) Rubabu by Children in Motion is a multi-award winning range of soft natural rubber toys for babies and toddlers made from molded natural rubber with a flocked velvety coating. Well, I must tell you, they make for great stress management toys for adults too. So they come in many different vibrant colors. When I say vibrant, cerise pink, um, this deep turquoise blue, this emerald green, bright red, um, Big, uh, big, medium, and small sizes, so depending on, on the age of your child, and useful from 3 to 18 months of age. You can get balls, and these balls are knobbly or ribbed. Um, they are just so sensory. You can get baby tools, like a little hammer, mm-hmm. but it's rubber, you know, so they can, they can bash things. Um, and, and you get vehicles that are beautiful with little wheels that actually work as well. So they are to stimulate eye-hand coordination, um, pushing those toys on wheels is for gross motor coordination, and of course throwing and rolling balls and being rubber. Uh, these are soft and squishy, but there are no fillers, so they, they're also solid, and they will bounce if you, if you bounce them, you know, if you mm-hmm. throw them on the floor intentionally. So fantastic for sensory-seeking children and perfect for 3 to 18 months of age and depending on the size that you buy they range from a really accessible 50 rand right through to 400 rand because those are the much bigger ones the stockists are Lilliputs, Green Busters, Baby City Take a lot and other major toy retailers, and these are the, the this range has won fifty 
prestigious international toy awards, including the Dr. Toy and Parents' Choice. So I highly recommend this, and so do therapists as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here squishing and squeezing one of these knobbly balls, <laughs> and they really are fantastic fun. And as I say, the colors are just so unusual. Lovely stuff. Nikki Bush, thank you so much. Uh, looking forward to our conversation next week, Saturday.